What's up, my brothers and sisters? Welcome to the Fireground Fitness Podcast, where we talk about all things pertaining to life on and off the fireground. Our guest today is Fire Captain Ashley Losh, who is a PIO in a neighboring city just northwest of here. And we talk today about her role as a PIO a tiny bit, but we also talk about vulnerability and relationships and building trust and so much more. So sit down, get tuned in, and enjoy. Ashley, <laughs> thank you so much for being with us here today and um, for sharing some of your time and your talents with us and talking um, talking story and talking about uh, who you are. And, and uh, Thank oh, you so much for having me, yeah. honestly. This I love. I love podcasts, so I feel really honored to be here. I'm excited. Well, I'm happy to have you. So, you know, I want to talk a little bit about what you do for a living hmm. um, as a PIO mm-hmm. and, and some of what that is. But um, as is customary, <laughs> <laughs> I do want to hear your kind of your, your journey, how you got here, though. Sure. So I grew up in California. Um, not a native, which I feel like a lot of people in Arizona are natives, or at least in our field, a lot of people grew up here or have some affiliation to Arizona. I do not. I grew up in Santa Monica, small beach town in California. And um, when I was four years old, I was in a car accident and really pretty severe, went through the windshield. My mom was unconscious. Firefighters came, took us to the hospital, and the firefighters stayed with me until my dad and my grandfather arrived at the hospital. And it just had such a profound impact on me. At four, I turned to my dad and said, I'm going to be a firefighter when I grow up. And he condescendingly patted me on the head and said, you know, girls can't be firefighters. So I kind of looked at him and was like, okay, well, if my dad says I can't do it, I can't do it. And put it out of my head for quite a long time, got to ASU and met a girl that was a firefighter. And I said, well, girls can't be firefighters. And immediately I wanted to just <laughs> bring those words right back into my mouth as she uh, looked Our parents at me. continue to influence us. <laughs> right? I mean, if my dad, my hero said it, it was, it had to be true. And so um, immediately she was like, come, come here. And so we, I did a ride along and I knew it. It was it was destiny. Nice. Yeah. Destiny. Is that a thing? Mm, maybe. So, <laughs> well, what was it? What was it that set the hook for you, though? What did you? What was it about that first ride along that you fell in love with? Well, it certainly wasn't the first call because I am deathly afraid of snakes, and of course, we might have been riding in a, a department that was a little further out that did snake calls, and. Um, they proceeded to grab this rattlesnake and place it in a bucket. And I got in the back of the ambulance where they slid the bucket with the snake in it. And I <laughs> was absolutely terrified. And we drove out and they got rid of the snake. And it was um, traumatic for me. And I was like, I don't ever want to do that. So wherever we don't do that, whatever department's not going to do that, that's where I will work. Uh, but no, I just knew I needed something that was going to be physical and challenging and something where I could grow as a person and be mentored and eventually become a mentor and just make that impact that those firefighters had on me as a four-year-old for the Mm -hmm. rest of my life. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, it's really interesting that the, how indelibly those marks are laid into our souls, right? Into our, into our spirits and our minds and whatever. And as a, as a four-year-old, you start down a trajectory um, 
based on this traumatic event mm-hmm. and you know it, it, so you know you said you want to make that diff- that kind of impact for somebody else do you feel like you've had those opportunities um more so in the last few years of my career than ever before yes i have had that opportunity i don't know if it is as much with the people that we serve as it is with the people i serve with mm. say more about that so Cancer, as we all know, has just become such a prevalent part of our culture and our job and loss of life. And um, when that started to hit home for us in our department, I really got involved and started to learn about the politics of it all and, and got involved with our members that were struggling. And that became a crusade for me and something that was very, very important. So my focus shifted in a lot of ways to saving our members. And I don't know if saving is really the word, but serving the members so that should they have a diagnosis or have to deal with this, that we have some things in place to help them and protect them and take care of them. And certainly early detection is one of them. So we're lucky here in the Valley to have Dr. Shuklo in and the Vincere Cancer Center. And I met her very early on, uh, right before Phoenix had come on board and Mesa and all of the other big departments were starting to come on board with her. And of course, we wanted to come on board with her as well. But it's it's a lot of money. And it's hard to do when you work in a smaller city. So um, working really hard to get some funding so that our department was going to get the same thing. And we were awarded a grant for a million dollars this year so that we could participate as well. And nice. that impact I feel like has been so profound. And so it's really the joy of my career, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's amazing that you think about what we come here to do and it's a, you know, we were kind of joking earlier about, you know, I came here to quote air quotes up in the air, serve, you know, serve people, help people, yeah, help people. <laughs> and, and, you know, we, we joke about that as we kind of get a little salty in our careers, but at the end of the day, what we do is for the community. And sometimes that community, you know, is internal, right? And the, the men and women who are firefighters, if they get sick and die of cancer can no longer serve the community. Right. And, and they are a, a highly trained uh, commodity Right. And, and a resource to the community. Well, we got to protect that resource and make sure that resource is sustainable mm-hmm. and can continue to serve. And um, and we have to remember that, you know, behind those, you know, or inside those uniforms are men and women mm-hmm. and human beings. Yeah. And and we have to take care of those folks so they can be successful. So, you know, from the we talk about from the beginning of our career, maintaining a, you know, a, a healthy life balance and, mm-hmm. you know, eating good and working out and, and right. staying healthy in all these different ways, mentally and, and physically. And. And yet we don't think about the threat that cancer is to us, right? And we're becoming more aware of it. Yeah, I would say we're definitely having a lot more conversations than ever, ever before. Yeah. Um, and I'm grateful for that. And certainly I don't want every conversation to be surrounded by cancer. But it, it's a reality that we really were unaware of, I feel like, earlier. And, and I don't know that it was necessarily we we didn't care. It's just, we were ignorant to the fact that this was becoming such a huge pandemic for our culture and for our, for our firefighters. Yeah. 
you know. Um, well, it's a real, it's becoming a much more present threat than we realized. Yeah. When I got on, it was all about cardiac, right? You're yeah. going to die of a heart attack. And, and the, the posters everywhere and all of the gyms and, and in the health centers were, you know, cardiac's going to kill you and we need to do more cardio. And <laughs> and now and now it's cancer and, and PTSD. And it, there's always something, obviously, we're going to identify the things that are a threat to us and we're going to start working towards mitigating those threats, if you will. Yeah. But, um, and, and thank God we have people that want to do that. Yeah. Is there anything specific that kind of led you down that path of wanting to be that advocate in your organization? Um, very, very early on, and this is so silly, but it is how it got started. I went to our then union president and I was like, Hey, do we do anything for when people have a baby in our department? He's like, what, what, what do you mean? I was like, I don't know, like someone has a baby. Do we go to the hospital or do we like give them a shirt? I, do we do anything? The little like a baby onesie that says Facts. welcome to the fire department. So he says <laughs> no. And mind you, I have, I don't know, two years on and people are like, who is this girl? 20, <laughs> you know, I was 23 when I got hired. I'm 25 year old. Like, what do we do for people when they have a baby? But it mattered to me. I, I, I wanted to have that connection. He's like, go talk to member services people. And we had one member services person at the time. And I was like, hey. Go talk to that department of one person. <laughs> right. Well, we're a small department. And I, and I was like, hey, I want to. Um, I was wondering, do we do anything when people have babies? And yeah. Like, no, we absolutely do not. And I was like, well, I'd really like to get onesies made up that say our fire department have the Maltese on it. And maybe a, a little beanie that we could deliver. And he was like, yeah, good luck with that. Well, it took me six years. But we now have blue and pink onesies and when people have babies um i get them a onesie and uh it started my path in member services so to answer your question that was sort of the catalyst of like well can i help you so i became the member services assistant at that point and i've been doing it ever since and that's that was what started and then having the opportunity to be with our members at their worst time and be there for their families that's where I realized this is my passion and this is what I want to do. And so the advocacy stuff has just come along with that. Yeah. Do you, do you see anything in the future in that? Like, sorry, let me say that a little bit differently <laughs> because I don't mean it to sound like that. Is there, is there other issues that you see on the horizon that you're thinking about? For firefighters oh. or in general? Well, in member, you know, <laughs> we talk about member services. What are some of the things that, that are, that are coming down the road for us. Gosh, I wish I had a crystal ball and I could answer that. I know it's a hard question. It I'm really in the spot. Too. No, it, it really is. In all honesty, I think that what we're all experiencing is a lack of connection. Um, we're not connecting the way we used to. And I think that lack mm. of connection is contributing to a lot of the mental health issues that we had. And we're, we're really quick to blame generation and say, well, millennials value their time off and they just want to come to work and then they want to be off. Well, I also think that we're lacking that family connection that we used to have. I hate to go when, when I got on, right? But Go ahead, old timer. Yeah, gosh, I'm not that salty. Uh, but we, we used to push that a lot more. Bring your families in, do this. And we certainly have captains and stations that do that, but it's not quite the same as it was. And so I think that those lack of connections and those really deep emotional roots that we had to one another, which would also propel you to then act 
more off duty, right? Yeah. Do more, engage more yeah. because of those connections and maybe that pressure a little bit. We don't have those as much. And, and so we're seeing more depression, more withdrawal, less activity, less engagement. That's again, just my guess. Yeah. Well, no, I think, I think you're onto something because there's a lot of things that have changed in the fire service. The, and we'll go way back, right back to open dorms. So now you get to be salty. Yeah. Back when I came on. No, (laughs) I'm not that salty either, but, but there, but there's some definitive changes like going from, I'll give you an example. It's a very specific example in my time. Partitioned dorms. Right. So there's curtains, there's little pony walls basically that you can't quite see over. Mm-hmm. And, but yet I remember tossing uh, Hershey kisses <laughs> over the, over the thing to my partner, uh, who was in the bunk next door. Right. So I'm tossing Hershey kisses. That's connection, mm-hmm. right? It's camaraderie. And, um, you know, when you get into closed dorms where every single person has their own individual dormitory, yeah, is that wonderful for a good night's sleep and some privacy and all that? Yes, but it does disrupt the fellowship, right? The the, the brotherhood and sisterhood that happens right. when you're farting around in the bay together. Well, I mean, it's when you're a little kid and you have a sleepover and you stay up late talking <laughs> until one or both of you falls right, asleep. It's right. that same thing. So yeah. um, you are salty because I never got to have the open bunk rooms. We never <laughs> did that. We always had the individual rooms there was a very short period of time where we did partition off our rooms so there was just some wood in between and two people in a room because we were trialing out a second truck at a station that really needed it and it was so much fun to do that and connect I'm very much somebody that wants to know who you are so first day that I work with you I'm like tell me your life story and I give them (laughs) you know 20 questions and they're probably super annoyed with me but I want to connect and I want them to know that I'm here to connect with so them. I feel I feel like I've talked about this before but I'm gonna go down this path anyway because I think it's important even if it's redundant but we do a job that requires a high level of trust mm-hmm. and in order to build trust you have to establish re- rapport and build a relationship with somebody mm-hmm. that's where trust is born from so some of that so so if we have closed dormitories and individual rooms the next problem we have right where where we can build camaraderie is at the kitchen table Mm -hmm. and i had an opportunity now i've been off a off a rig for a little bit now as a as a chief officer however what i witnessed not long ago was that we sit down at the kitchen table Mm -hmm. and everybody's in their phone yeah now and i'm going to sound like a grumpy old man here but i'm going to say it (laughs) when we're all sitting there staring at our phones we're not engaging with one another and that's that leads to problematic issues, right? Right. And I think I have absolutely been to stations where it's the rule that you don't have your phone at dinner and the captain enforces the rule. I do that at my house with my son. Dinner, there are no phones and that's just it. I don't care if it's 10 minutes of connection while we're scarfing our food down, there will be no phones. And I think that those firehouses that do that and um, everyone buys into it, you can see those are the people that off duty are doing things together and bring their families in and are engaged more uh, across the board, right? So I think you're on to something. I yeah. think no phone Fridays or something could be could be a Stop, thing. Stop, settle down, mom. <laughs> I know, right? Well, We're going tech free today. So I was at a station a bunch of while uh, for a Spanish immersion program. So mm-hmm. we were put together for about four months, mm-hmm. and this particular station, the tables were set up. Uh, side by side, the kitchen tables, 
and and sitting in front of the tables were the stratos and in front of that was the television oh yeah so it's like so a counter the elbow to elbow we were sitting like elbow to elbow down the row and so if you wanted to talk to somebody you had to like look you know crane your neck and look down the row mm-hmm. of people and of course we'd come in the television would be on and and we'd just all sit and stare forward at the tv so we had a very important political issue that was being discussed at the time and we needed to have some conversation and and i was like this is ridiculous i'm trying to i can't have talk with you guys i'm having to look left and look right and look like stupid so at dinner before dinner i took the took the stratos pushed them out of the way took the tables pushed them into a square Mm -hmm. sat the sitting the chairs around the table and brought the food to the table right and we ended up sitting there until 10 at night. Changed now, everything. luckily, we didn't have a, we did not get interrupted by calls. So we ended up sitting there for this huge period of time talking about, started off talking about the important political issue of the day. Right. And, and then it morphed into everything. just jaw jacking around the table. Right. It was fantastic. Right. And so I look back to that as this one example, kind of this, this, this bright point in time where, um, we were able to kind of defeat the phone, if you will, and, and come together for a specific issue. Mm-hmm. So anyways, I think it's important that we think about that stuff and think about how it's affecting our ability to build relationships. Yeah, it's that lack of connect. I agree. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. what What's your favorite? If you could pinpoint one day where you were at a firehouse at one point in your career, was there one night that sticks out or one activity? I know for me, it was when we would sit down and play cards and that was the expectation after yeah. dinner, booters would clean up, everyone's throwing the trash away and we come together and we would play cards, whatever game of the week it was that time, yeah. because you're messing with each other you're laughing someone does something stupid and we get to pick on them relentlessly for the next two hours whatever it is that that is the place and those are the moments where you have the best memories at least i do what about you um i'm trying to think of a specific event I, i can't really think of anything specific but i would do think there was a period of time when i was at uh a station for a long period of time station 39 39 is a for those who uh no, you know, it is a tough <laughs> station to work at uh, for a lot of reasons. But we had a gym out in the bay and we would spend a lot of all of our downtime. We'd go out there and fart around out in the bay and work out and we'd do long workouts and we'd do all kinds of different stuff. And, yeah. and I remember one day um, we built a balance board and the uh, our captain was off for the morning. We built this balance board and we're all out there playing with it. And we, we played with it for on and off for hours in between calls. So by the time he showed up after his partial vacation, we were all experts. Oh. And he walks in and we're standing on this thing like, watch us. I love Look it. at us, dad. Yeah. <laughs> we figured out. And he comes in and he's, and, and this, he was easily, I don't want to put an a t- actual timestamp on it. He was older than us. Sure. <laughs> in a lot of ways, career wise and, and in life. Emotionally. And uh, yeah, he was much more mature than us. Let's just say that. <laughs> okay. But it, on so many fields. But what was interesting was he he shows up and he immediately changed into his PT gear and came out to the bay. I love it. Right? I want to be I want right to be with, I want to be with the guys. Yes. And that was the relationship we had built. Yes. And we're like, "Come on over, check this I out. Look it. what we can do." And we get on this balance board and we're doing our thing and he's like, "Oh, I'm going to try." And I said, "Hey, you should probably hold on to these the gymnastic rings for balance." No, 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 I'm good cuz we weren't we had started with that. Of course. Training wheels. Training wheels. And then we graduated from the training wheels. Mm-mm. Anyway, this story ends badly, but I'm going to take you right to the end. So he decides he's going without the rings because we can all do it without the rings. He steps on this thing, swoop left, swoop right. He's on his, you know, he gets 
you know, ass over tea kettle, and broken he's head. in a lo- no, luckily, <laughs> Thank God. but Not broken, that old, huh? but pride was crushed, and uh, he limped off, oh, no. <laughs> and we huddled up like, hey, I think it just broke the captain. <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> Who, we're all get, we're getting in trouble, <laughs> and uh, but it was one of those moments where we just you know we oh, you know he came back out, we bonded, it was great, and yeah. it's times like that where you where we're spending time together, mm-hmm. working out, doing fun activities like trying to play with a balance board, just different things like that that were for me have been highlights you know Absolutely. over the course of my career, and, and it's so interesting those moments in the in the firehouse with the people with your guys. Those stick with you and those are so fantastic, but they don't always translate outside of the firehouse. We had this game, Redneck Life. If anyone's ever played it, you know it's hilarious. And we played it one night at the station and it was hysterics. I mean, we were in stitches laughing at this game. Well, last summer I bring it on a trip with a bunch of teenagers and we young adults because they were maybe consuming alcohol and we're playing this game and I'm thinking we're going to laugh hysterically this is going to be so much fun and they all just looked at me like this is the dumbest thing you've ever made us do right and we ended early because it was just such a flop and <laughs> something that just was so grand at the station and I yeah. thought people would love just it just didn't translate that's you know? so funny well that reminds me of a of a, a particular call uh where the crew and I, I can, we can talk about this call again and again, and it just <laughs> continues to have uh, equity in the bank. It's yes. just an amazing call, and it involves trauma and involves a, a, a body part falling out of the falling out of people's hands. It's hilarious. But I've somebody asked me at a at a family party one day, "Oh, what was the the funniest call you've ever run?" I'm like, "Oh, you're not going to believe." And I tell the story, and everyone's like, "Oh, uh, that's horrifying." And I'm like. No, no, no. You don't understand. Let me start over. Well, it's cultural. <laughs> you they must d- have missed something. It doesn't all, it just doesn't always translate. Yeah. And, you know, we show each other whatever that we find hilarious or we've experienced these shared traumas that now we have to right. laugh at because we would otherwise fall to pieces. Right. And you're right. It's we've shared, we've engaged, we're, we're in it to win it right. together. But go home and tell that, and people are appalled, <laughs> and also, right. and that, as they probably should be, because we are a little bit twisted. It's a little dark. The um, yeah, my story involves a a hand that was um, came in as a cutting, and it, the hand was completely Sorry. cut off. <gasps> oh my god! Um, and was wrapped up, and and when they, when the crew kind of huddled around the the poor gentleman whose hand had been cut in half, he's this huge giant Q-tip looking wrap around his hand, like with a towel and sure. T-shirt. And we said, hey, we're gonna need to look at that. I'm a brand new paramedic. I'm like, hey, uh, I'm gonna need to look at that. Uh, so let's go ahead and unwrap that. And he, as he unwraps it, the top half of his hand falls out of the wrapped up T-shirt. And of course, now the crew who's standing there juggles this hand, the half hand. And, and then finally it lands and somebody's and they catch it. And I'm like, yeah, let's get that on ice. <laughs> and so anyways, it's a stupid story, but it just, no. it was a cutting. And it was much, 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 much more well, than a cutting. You had this idea of what was going to happen. And then when you got there, it was so far off the rails, right? <laughs> oh, and all you, all I hear when you're saying this is hot potato, hot potato. <laughs> you know, I See, mean, you get it. I'm twisted. So terrible. So what's funny though about that is when we, on a serious note, is those that that um, what do they call that transactive memory builds trust, builds accountability for one another, 
and, and builds that unity. So in the absence of those events, mm-hmm. right, as you're, when you get together with a new group of people, how do you build trust? So I think, you know, we've talked about some of the things, right? It's time in, it's time at the station, it's sharing of anecdotes, it's, it's going on events together. But what, what are some other things? What do you think? How else would you build trust? It's all about vulnerability, in my opinion. If, Say if more people about that. are willing to be vulnerable with one another, right? Mm. Talk about who they really are, what they really want, how they, where they want to go, what's brought them here, um, and you being willing to connect with them in a vulnerable state. That, to me, builds trust because beyond just having those conversations but also saying, I don't know something or I'm unclear or I need help uh, also requires some vulnerability and humility. And when you do that, that means you are trusting someone with, with that information and hoping that they're going to act on it and, and help you be better. So I think when you do that and you are reciprocated with those things, it builds trust in a way that we can't even really understand you you touched on the subject of vulnerability, which I think is a really cool subject. And Brene Brown has a podcast. She's an amazing person. I love her. Her book's on my nightstand. <laughs> All of her books are on my wife's nightstand. <laughs> <laughs> she just tells you about them. And I go and no, no, I read them. Um, I've read several of her books, but I cheat a little bit. I go with the old audio book thing. Um, it's not cheating. A little bit, but it's, but I still, I'm in there. But one of the things she asks in her podcast, she always says, in her rapid fire, she goes, vulnerability is? Mm. And Simon Sinek was on her podcast, and Simon Sinek said, vulnerability is giving someone the power to destroy you and trusting they won't use it. Mm-hmm. And I just love that because I think about us in the fire service, right? We we know things about each other that we probably, that nobody else will know. Mm. And that's pretty significant, right? And And especially, you know, when they might know something about you that could ruin your career or that could uh, ruin <laughs> ruin all kinds of things, right? And But we trust one another. We take that stuff with us to the grave, right? Wholeheartedly. I had mm-hmm. a, um, I have a friend who's a wife of a firefighter mm-hmm. um, and we were friends before they were together and she was telling me a story how she went to the station and she's like, these guys are messed up. Like the way they talk, the things they say. And I said, no offense. This is sometimes why you shouldn't go into that <laughs> environment because we are messed up, but we're messed up together. And right. we understand each other and we love each other regardless of those things. And sometimes because of those things, right. uh, because we recognize that in one another and it is that trust and that vulnerability and that ability to be our true selves with each other. And that's what she was witnessing was that true self coming out. Cause it's not always pretty. It, the facade we put out there and what we want people to think about us is one thing, but what's really inside in those moments where you say something where you're like, Ooh, that was a little dark or <laughs> was that too harsh where right. you catch yourself? That's where our brothers and sisters in the fire service well, will go. It's okay that, that we could talk about it. The hand fell out and we all kind of giggled. Right. Right. And that's messed up. Right. But in our circle, it's okay. Right. Well, or, or let's just say, for example, you're at the firehouse and there's a, a there's a hot button issue that comes up that in the department, and you say some some choice words about leadership. Sure. Right. Could that get you in trouble? Yep. Yeah, but you're angry, you're frustrated, you're in the moment. Maybe you say something that you shouldn't have said. 
and being vulnerable with your peeps is, is trusting that we are going to recognize that you're, that, that is not your true heart. You're just being emotional or you're, you're fired up at the moment. You're going to cool off and then you'll be your normal self. Right. Well, and, and how vulnerable and how awesome is it when you catch yourself an hour later and you go back to your crew and you say, I'm recognizing that I was just really frustrated and I probably shouldn't have said that. Thanks for letting me do that and venting and, and trust I and trusting me enough to, to do that and not judging me. Yeah. Or judging me and now hearing my apology, <laughs> pulling it back, right? Right. Either yeah. way, but that's vulnerability in, in all directions right there, yeah. right? And how much more do you love the person that does that? Yeah. I no. love the person that takes yeah. takes that uh, introspection and says, oh, man, I messed up. Yeah. That's a powerful – that is a powerful uh, – I want to say tool, but it's it's a powerful tool for an individual to be able to subjugate your ego and come back to somebody and apologize. Apologies. Right? We were kind of talking about apologies earlier. I know. That's why it's, I guess that's why it's fresh in my mind. I'm bringing it back around because – the ability to do that for somebody talk and that's vulnerable, right? Mm-hmm. To be able to come back to somebody and say, Hey man, um, I'm recognizing that I might've fucked something up here and I don't want our relationship to be destroyed because of it. So, and then you might say it differently in the firehouse, but, but the point is, is that you're coming to that person you're saying, Hey, I'm owning my, my stuff and you know, my apologies. Yeah. And I, I think it's so important to say I'm owning my stuff and I apologize, but I also think it's equally as important to say, and I recognize how that affected you. And I mm. recognize that what I did, what I said affected you. And that's what I'm sorry for. Yeah. I'm, I'm really, it hurts me that I hurt you. It hurts me that I affected you negatively in any way. That's, that's the hard part. Sometimes it's easy to go, oh man, I messed up. Oh, I fucked that up. I didn't do that right. And you kind of brush it off. Those aren't the apologies that really stick with us. You know, you might get forgiveness because you're talking to someone who's awesome <laughs> and you hope for that. But sometimes that forgiveness doesn't come until you really recognize, hey, that I hurt you mm. and that I'm sorry for. Yeah. No, that's, that's smart. See, I am still learning how to properly apologize. And I think that that's, you know, uh, it's one thing to say, yeah, I own my, the respect, I take responsibility for what I've done. But I think really, um, being able to label and truly talk about what impact you had on somebody else, that's that's next level. Well, because normally we don't know. We don't take the time to think about how does that actually affect But that's them, what I'm right? saying, right? Yeah. Like taking that. So is it really sincere to go, man, I know I just hurt that person. So actually, actually, I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. I did not mean to do that. Well, but you did it. So you may not have meant to do it, but you did it and there's a consequence and I'm feeling that consequence. And so, but to say what, you know, to go yeah. to what you were talking about and actually acknowledging and labeling what you did wrong. Um, dudes, I'm telling you, you got to take notes right now because <laughs> Ashley is, t- is dropping serious knowledge. So all y'all get your note taking gear out and take some notes on this. Um, so that's a very, very, imp- that's a you know, PSA over. <laughs> that's a very important aspect, Ashley, is the, is recognizing what you really did. And then say, when you go to the person to apologize, labeling what harm you actually did. Right. That's a, that's a hard skill. It is. And I don't know that 
I don't know really anyone that can do that real, real well because it requires a whole lot of introspection, but also a, a whole lot of understanding of the person that you may have impacted and hurt. So yeah. I think we innately will apologize to someone the way we want to be apologized to. Mm. Do you agree with that? Mm-hmm. I hear what you're saying. Yeah. So it's yeah. kind of like the, oh gosh, we're going to go here, but like love mm-hmm. languages, right? So you're going to give what you want to receive mm-hmm. it just naturally, but you may not have the same, you know, love language. So yeah. it, and that doesn't always translate into the firehouse, but emotionally it does. It's how do I feed someone and how do they receive and how do they give, right? So I can give you the way that I want to be given too, but if that's not how you receive it and that's not the way you're motivated, that it falls on deaf ears and it doesn't work out. So I think it's the same with an apology. Yeah. Well, and, and the one last thing I'll say about it is it's really insincere when you apologize for what, for yourself, mm-hmm. right? Well, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. Now forgive me, right? I said, I'm sorry, forgive me. Oh, yeah. But that you, but if you're not meeting that person where they are and you're not actually truly being empathetic and really listening to what they're saying, then what work have you really done? None. You're just trying to pacify them so <laughs> that it could be over and yeah, so you don't have on? to feel guilty. That's my, that has been one of my biggest challenges. I'm like, hey, can we just move on? I'm ready to move on. I, I have moved on. Right. I'm over it. You right. should be over but it. But the problem with that for me is I have really quick recovery fat. Refractory period for me is nothing. I'm like, okay, we had a big blow up. I've moved on. You're not good. Are you the what? guy that has to deal with it right now, right here? We have to get it over with so that we can um, go to bed. Yeah. Well, I'm like, because I'll wake <laughs> Most up. Most people are. Because I'll wake up and I'm like, I've moved on. Oh, yeah. No, I'm, I have to go, you know, I'm going to think about this overnight, maybe probably tomorrow. Maybe tomorrow right, night I'll be ready right. to talk about it. So they've written books about this, but this is one of the classic differences <laughs> Male, between female. men and women, right? Oh, yeah. it's a It's a classic difference. But I think to in order for us to be, if we're truly going to grow and be successful, it's how do we move past that, right? Mm. We have to learn how to communicate with our partners and with our friends and family and all the different people that we're surrounded by and figure out how to... He- communicate in a healthy way it's emotional intelligence it's Ah, knowing it's knowing what that other person needs and how they need it and giving it to them regardless of the fact that that's not what i need and how i function because like you said you want to talk about it right now you want to move on you're past it well that's not how i'm going to do it i need to walk away sleep in another room think about it all day the next day, calm down, (laughs) analyze it in every which direction. Meanwhile, you're stewing and you're like, why is this not over? Why am I still in the doghouse? I thought you moved on. Right. I thought (laughs) I told you I was over it. Um, And then the next night, you know, I'm ready to talk about it. But it's that it's knowing that about your partner and saying, I know that she needs to walk away and she needs to think about this for a day. And when she's ready and she's calmed down and she's not emotional anymore, we can have a real conversation, actually deal with it and then successfully move past it. And I know that's my, about my partner. Well, mm-hmm. I think that translates into the firehouse the same way because mm-hmm. the, the two people in the back seat may not need to be approached the same way, may not learn the same way, may not be motivated the same way. While while you and your engineer might be on the same page, those two in the back are on, on a whole other workbook. So having the emotional intelligence and taking the time to invest in all of those people and know how they work and what they need, that's how you build that trust. That's how you build those relationships. And that's how you build successful firehouses. Boom. In my opinion. 
No, I love it. <laughs> you're, I think you're onto something. The, when we talk about leadership, so much of leadership is emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. And I think we, that gets lost on a lot of folks. A lot of people think about leadership in terms of managing processes and, and getting stuff done. But there's a reason that leadership and management are two separate things. They are two very independent elements of getting work done Absolutely. right there's the management the process piece which is just nuts and bolts get this move i can from, check the boxes i can send the emails i can make the phone yep. calls i can do the stuff yeah yeah not the same so i love that you're connecting the leadership and the emotional intelligence piece together so i think all of us need to spend more time considering how we provide leadership and how the people who are in our stewardship what their needs are. Right. That is really the most important factor here. It is. So if you are tending to their needs, you understand where they want to go, what their goals are, and you're willing to invest the time to, to recognize how to help them get there because, again, they may not do it in the same process that you do. Mm. Guess what you get? Buy-in. Mm. Now they're bought into your process. They're bought into who you are as a human being, and they're willing to follow you. Not only are they willing to follow you, but they buy into how you've gotten them to follow you. And they're going to do the same thing for the next group when they become leaders because right. they see, wow, she really connected with me. She cared about me. She learned my process. She took the time to understand how I was motivated and how I learn and, and helped me grow as a human being, not just as a firefighter, and become a better leader because of it. And I have buy into that process. So I'm going to do that for the next person. And that's how we start creating those connections again. Yeah. It sounds like a lot of work, Ashley. It is a lot of work. And it's a lot of caring. And that sounds like a really trivial word, but caring is such a big thing. Mm. You know, <clears throat> when I was working on becoming a company officer and I was thinking about what the responsibility is that a company officer is responsible for. It dawned on me that early in my life as a, a young Marine, I was a tank commander and I had a crew of three people and I was the, the boss. And what was interesting about that is as I reflected back on that, I was like, oh, I was responsible for their training, responsible for their, them being in, in place set formation first thing in the morning. <laughs> right. I was responsible to make sure they had their equipment when we Check. went on, on evolutions, et cetera. And then I thought it didn't dawn on me until years later that if something happened to any one of those folks that I was responsible to the chain of command to their families, to the Marine Corps, to the, to the United States of America, to the people, right? Because I was responsible for that human being in a given moment of time, right? So you started to have that 5,000 foot level. Started view. to gain some perspective, right? And so as I started sitting in the front right seat of a fire truck, I started to realize, man, I have a, I have a responsibility to the men and women who are on my truck and to their families, their spouses, their friends, their kinfolk, their, and, and to the community, et cetera. And that burden of responsibility began to sink in. Mm -hmm. And so that, for me, when I start thinking about what leadership looks like, you really have to be aware of your responsibility. And if you understand your responsibility, then you take pains to be a more effective leader. It's not just pushing buttons and making commands on the radio. You have to think about your people and actually care about them. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that you just said, pain, it's painful, right? 
it could be very, very painful because you are now making yourself vulnerable enough to take on all of the things that they're taking on and, and be there completely and with attention for what they need. That can become painful when other people are going through things because now you really genuinely care about them. Mm -hmm. So you're committing to them that it's not just these 24 hours. I care about you. I want to know about you and your child and your family and where you came from and, and what that means for you on your days off. And are you coming in having struggled for the last two days? Now I have to care about that, address that, and find out are you here are we good are we ready to do what we need to do do you need a time out do we just need to talk or man you had the best two days of ever off and we're going to hit the ground running today and we're going to have an awesome shift but it's you have to invest that time and that mm. emotion to care yeah yeah i love that and the one last thing i would I, that i want to say about that is that it doesn't matter where you are in the organization you can be that kind of leader oh yeah I think you lead from where you are. And if you're in the backseat of a fire truck, you can be a leader. If you're a chief of a section, you can be a leader. Some of it's organizationally mandated. <laughs> yeah. Right? Says it on your shirt. Right? You're required to by position and function. However, the the quality of leadership is about you as a human being. And I think you, you know, to any backseat firefighters listening to this right now, you or anybody, frankly, you can develop that skill set from where you are. Oh wholeheartedly you've said it on here i've heard your guests say it you know leading with love leading with love from anywhere is such a valuable thing and people will flock to it and they will flock to you and they will have buy-in in who you are i was a backseat firefighter for 19 years of my career it took a long time to get the actual title do I feel like i was a a leader i don't know if that term was necessarily what i would have coined for myself but i felt trusted mm -hmm. and that was more important to me but uh, you talked about asking questions right off the bat when you were you know mm -hmm. two years on the job that's leadership right it was driven by a desire to serve your brothers and sisters it was that's leadership some people might have said i was just loud and needed well, to shush it and not ask so many questions but um <laughs> and they're probably right in a lot of circumstances but that's just who i've always been the person that's a little bit intimidating that's people's favorite word to describe don't me don't diminish don't diminish yourself i, I take I'm, umbrage with that the i really believe that we, so, so many times we, we see people who are stepping out and stepping up and providing leadership and we say, well, you're not, you've only got X on the job mm -hmm. or, you know, they're so arrogant or whatever. No, they're, they're providing leadership and may, it can, there are times when it's misguided. Sure. They don't have organizational history. They don't, they don't have um, enough juice to get something done or whatever. There, there might be cases like that. However, representing the needs of your folks is about providing leadership. And I, and I will not let you take that away from yourself. <laughs> well, <thanks. laughs> I think you'll have a lot of people that would line up to argue with you, but I thank you. <laughs> hey, and, you know, we all have to learn how to wield our, wield our power. And sometimes we, we, when we come out early, I think I was telling you this earlier, you know, mm -hmm. like when I came out of high school, I, I thought that, uh, being a leader was like being a cheerleader. Like, hey, you go, go, go. We got yeah. this guy's like, rah, rah, rah. Well, I learned that that, you know, all that yelling and screaming 
is all sometimes misguided, right? There's a way to apply it and you have to learn how to do that. And yeah, you come up, you look back at yourself and you're like, yeah, I'm a little insecure maybe about the way I carried myself. Well, I was immature and young and outspoken and, you know, and, and I didn't know how to take responsibility for the things I didn't know. And saying, I don't know was just ghastly and how, and I was not willing to do that. Uh, I think maturity and a lot of mess ups in my career has shown me that actually it's way better to say I don't know mm-hmm. it's I I appreciate the people that say I don't know so much more than the people that tell me everything that they know and prove to me that they've never been wrong right it's back to that vulnerability I, I'm, I'm drawn to the people that may not know and I'm actually even drawn to the people that do know but say they don't know because they want to help me learn mm. I love that I like that. So speaking of that, what are some of the, when you think about the course of your career, what are some of the things that stand out to you as, as challenges that, that have, or challenges you've faced in the course of your career? Um, I think I got in my own way a lot. I think that lack of maturity was part of it. I think, um, working for people that were not interested in investing in me and helping me get where I wanted to go. I roved forever and ever and ever. And when you don't have consistent captains or leadership, especially early in your career, I think you feel like you're left on an island and you don't have the safe space to say, I don't know, or I'm not sure. Um, And then when you rove in somewhere and you're now a senior firefighter and you don't know something because no one's ever showed you and you've got a booter, you're like, well, I'll just learn while the booter's learning, and but I won't tell anybody I didn't know. <laughs> so I think, um, I think that was hard. I think not feeling like I was really brought in to that family and, and those places because you rove and you don't have the connect. I always wanted to get invited to the barbecues and the Christmas parties and the stuff, and I just kind of never got to. So that, that was hard for me for yeah. a lot of my career. Hmm. That's a... It's interesting. We've uh, in my neck of the woods, <laughs> uh, you know, major metro fire department, and we struggle with the same thing, right? We have a organizations use rovers to 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 fill vacations and gaps, right? Mm-hmm. So you end up with this this population of people who are pretty transient, yeah. And that's one of the one of the difficult parts of it, especially as the city gets bigger, because you you have more people that you don't necessarily know, um, right. and it's tricky. It is. Yeah. I I'm I feel grateful where I work. I know everybody. Yeah. You know, and for a long time I would was very proud of the fact I knew everyone. I probably knew their wife or or husbands or boyfriends or girlfriends names and probably their children. I really took pride in that. Um and we are we're getting a little bit bigger. It's a little harder. I'm not on a truck as because I'm in the PIO world. Um but yeah, I think it's the responsibility of the captain and the crew to bring their rovers in that day and yeah. and make them feel a part of it. But more importantly, not just at work. Hey, man, did you get invited to a Christmas party this year? You know, our right. crew's having a party. We'd love for you to come um, because they probably didn't. They probably didn't. Yeah. Yeah. That's a man. It's so important to think about that. And we think about leadership being, oh, I'm taking care of my crew. Um, mm-hmm. But we do have to remember that there's a lot of folks in this organization that go um, on our organizations mm-hmm. that are outside of our own little our own little bubble. 
They are. We're transient. It's the exact word that you said. Gosh, we have guys. I don't know if it happens for you guys. We have guys that go to three different stations in one shift because they start here for four (laughs) hours and they go there. It's so you don't even unpack your your car. So that's that's a tough way to live for. I did it for nine years. Yeah. Um, And you you feel disjointed from an organization that you call your fire family. Well, that's hard. and, And what do we sell this on? Right. Right. We, we tell folks, hey, you're going to be part of this brotherhood, sisterhood. You're going to be part of the family. Mm-hmm. And then they get on the department and they end up bouncing around, roving. Mm-hmm. Right. And I've, I've heard some people argue that, oh, you know, it's their fault. <laughs> they they don't really want to land anywhere. And I, t- I have a problem with that because it's just there's a lot of dynamics in an organization that can prevent someone from landing a spot. And um, and so we have to be regardless of whatever you think it might be the root cause we got to take care of those folks. Absolutely. For us, there just aren't spots. You have a lot more opportunity. There, there are just, there are just nowhere to go. There's yeah. not a spot available. There's only so many ALS firefighter spots and only right. so many ALS captain spots. So see, that's why you got to stay BLS. <laughs> <laughs> Better lifestyle, baby. <laughs> yeah, I have a lot of philosophies on that. You're going on the call anyway. I want to be able to have that biggest effect possible on that call, and it would be very hard for me to sit back and. And not be able to affect the outcome in, in the best way possible. Because so. you're loud and brash. You want to be in charge. <laughs> Very true. See? See? You're buying into it now. I knew you'd come around. Just spend a little time with me. Uh, You'll see. So let me ask you it's sort of a life question here, philosophical. What, in the course of your lifetime, what has surprised you more than anything thus far? <laughs> People. People's behavior. People's behavior? Yeah. Definitely. You think you know somebody and then they do something you never would have expected, good or bad. But I would say in the course of my lifetime, people have surprised me more than anything. Hmm. You, you know, I'm going to I'm going to jump on that real quick. What 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 I find fascinating is that with with regard to people sure. is they're way messier than you realize. People, people are messy and lives are messy. And I think that we, the reason it surprises me is as I've gotten older, I've, I, I understand more about what's really going on in people's lives. Yeah. And I'm like, man, we put on a good show. Wow. We, hi- we hide so much stuff from, ev- from each other. Of course. And yet it bubbles up and p- pops out of the corners and you're like, ah, there it is. And when you start seeing it, you learn to see the signs of it and you realize, um, my wife said to me once, she goes, hey, pe- these people, we were talking about a group of, uh, a certain group of people, she goes, they're doing the best they can with what they've got. And I was like, nuh-uh. <laughs> that is not the best they can do. But then I, as I as I sat back In and kind of gave maybe. gave them some grace, and I'm like, no, I get it. Life's hard and messy. And that was something that it took me kind of maturing to, to look back and go, hmm, I see it. Interesting, because you had such a dynamic upbringing and yeah. and my upbringing youth. was messy right i'm honestly suspicious of anyone that's not messy if you're not messy you haven't lived something you've you've been very very charmed somehow well, through this process because messy isn't necessarily bad messy right. isn't necessarily you know the wikipedia term of messy <laughs> or whatever but it's it's 
that you've lived, that you've done things, that you've had experiences, and those have been good and bad. You've put yourself out there. You've allowed yourself to be vulnerable because it's only when we're vulnerable that things can kind of go awry. Mm. If you're so controlled and you're in this environment where you don't even allow things to impact you or you don't put yourself out there or you don't travel or do the things that can bring on the chaos then you're not going to have any messy and that's kind of a boring life too. Yeah, I agree. It was, uh, I had a friend who said, uh, you know, I've had a, I've had an awesome life and I've got the scars to show it or to prove it. It's true. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah. Cause the scars are where the stories are. <laughs> right. What else would you talk about on the fire right. table, well, on the table? I, you know, I, I remember hearing people say, well, Oh, my husband, my wife and I, we never fight. And I'm like, uh, I just don't believe that. That's I, boring. I don't believe that life is that simple and so easy. You're suspicious of the people that yeah, aren't messy. I'm with you. I'm with you. That's yeah. the same thing. Yeah, I'm saying the same thing you're saying. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> honestly, if, if you're with, well, I'm single, so I don't know. I haven't figured this part out yet. But it, if you're with someone that all you ever do is agree, what kind of conversations? I mean, are you? Do you never have a debate? <laughs> uh, yep, I agree. Oh, well, that was great. Next subject. I mean, at some point, you you have to have a disagreement. It shouldn't be fundamental, right? Those are the relationships that don't work, hence where I'm at. But you shouldn't shouldn't be afraid to say, I don't agree in a relationship. Yeah. And I want to know what you want, what you think and what you want to know, right? And I hope you want to know those things about me too. Yeah. I don't want to agree all the time. Yeah. Well, I'm going to agree with you on that, though. Okay. I'll allow it. <laughs> Good thing we're not trying to be in a relationship. Uh, Your wife will appreciate that. Yes. Yes. So, I yeah, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, so, let me ask you this. As a company officer, and, and we, we haven't even touched on the fact that you're a PIO, eh. and you've been a PIO for a little while. And mm. um, So, with when you think about your current responsibilities and your job, and you know, what are the things that keep you up at night? As a PIO? No, just as a, as a company officer, as a PIO or you know, whatever. The health and welfare of our, of our people and where we're headed and how to protect, how to protect our people and how to make sure that our organization is going to keep on a trajectory that pushes us in a good place. That definitely keeps me up at night. Um, I don't know. I don't sleep. So, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I, I often don't sleep because I'm thinking about what social media stuff I'm going to do or what's happening next week. But as, as a company officer in an organization, um, where we're small, but we have things like the Super Bowl coming up and where people underestimate us, um, I think, a lot of what keeps me up is how do I how do I show what's really happening here and how do I mm. how do I keep us moving in the right direction? Yeah. So have you when you, you know so clearly when people mm-hmm. get done listening to this podcast they're going to go to your social media and look at it. <laughs> um, and you know you have been very um, 
creative and done a lot of fun stuff with your with your guys's social media. And um, we'll just say you, you work for Glendale Fire Department, yeah. which we've alluded that statement <laughs> all the time. Uh, but you work for Glendale Fire Department yes. in in Phoenix, Arizona, or just outside of Phoenix, Glendale, Arizona. Sorry, sure. and um, our little our our little brothers next door, and the um, and your guys' social media is really robust. And you do a lot of fun stuff on there, and uh, um, it's fun. It's funny. And Try to. do you get any pushback? Oh yeah, every day. <laughs> The haters going to hate. Yeah, uh, for sure. I think it, uh, it's misunderstood. People don't um, really get why why I do what I do. And when I first started getting more creative, so this job is very, very, very stressful. And it's you're being pulled in 100 different directions all the time. And there's expectations, kind of like what we talked about before, of the city and of the department and an internal expectation and external expectation. What does the family think? And, and what's your audience for this, that, and the other, right? And so... Um, when I started to get a little more creative, I would go, Hey, do this. And, and nobody wanted to, and, and I get it. They don't, I'm not going to do that. That's stupid. They don't want to be vulnerable to the world and maybe flop. Right. Mm. Well, let me tell it you, it is I've, high risk. I've had a lot that have flopped and that's fine because for me, this is about serving tea to all of those audiences, right? So I may not be your cup of tea, but I have to serve tea to everyone. So this post might be your cup and you might love it. And tomorrow you might not like it, but your sister did, or someone who's trying to get hired did, or the mayor did, right? Or the business that we, that just donated to us loves it. Um, So for me, it was about humanizing who we are, maybe giving a little look behind the curtain to people outside of the organization. Um, sometimes it's about the membership, but I'll tell you the the best compliment I ever got was from a family member that said, I follow all the Valley Fire Departments, but I love our social because it feels personal to me and it feels like I'm looking at my family members' social media. That was such a compliment to me because everybody can report on the stuff, right? We can do the fires and and we can do the car accidents and we can do the the meat and potatoes of the things that we do. But do you want to see that all the time? Doesn't that get noisy? Doesn't that get boring if you're going through your feed and that's all you're seeing? I I wanted something that would catch your eye. I wanted something that would maybe make you laugh or make you cry make you feel something, make you connect to us, <laughs> if you will. Um, and certainly there's pushback and people don't understand and think it's stupid and and that's okay. Right. I'm okay with that. You know what's interesting is the reason I asked you that question is because that is the, social media is still a, an evolving tool in the fire service. Mm-hmm. And a lot of us you know, well, the organizations and people are still trying to wrap their heads around why it matters and why is it such a phenomenon and, and why is it, how can it be helpful to us? So I think it's important. I mean, you spoke right to why it's helpful and how it can connect us with our customers and with our, our, our neighbors in our community. That's important. Um, and not everyone's going to appreciate social media for what it is and, and that's okay. And Totally. So here's the biggest reason that, that we need it in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So let's say something horrific happens in, in our city and we need to tell people about it right now, shelter in place or evacuation or something 
massive is is happening in our community uh, the fastest best way to get things out social media right biggest reach well guess what if those people don't already follow us they mm. don't already look at what glendale fire department is putting out mm. we haven't already won them over with some silly video or some something that made them laugh or cry they're not getting that message well then i've failed in my job I have failed them because I can't get them the message when it matters. I can't get them the message when it's life or death. It's my job to make sure that they follow us, they check on us, that they're engaged with us so that if I really need to get them a message, they're already with us. They're already there because no one is going there in the moment of tragedy or despair or unknowing if they haven't already followed us. It's not going to be on, on their thought yeah. to go there. Yeah, exactly. You know what would really pop your guys' social media? What? If your fire trucks were red. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> I've been waiting all oh, hour to see it. I was waiting and waiting. <laughs> you did a good job keeping that, keeping that I, one I held it in wraps. as long as I could. I you held know? it in as long as I could. I know. So I love the uniqueness of the yellow fire truck. I'm not no, going to lie. I, I, I really too. love... No, you don't. It's okay. You don't have <laughs> I'm to. I'm trying to be agreeable. I don't. Please. We talked about this. Don't be agreeable. Listen, I I say it on our social and I joke about it, but I... I love pulling up to a scene and it is all red fire trucks and there's our beautiful <laughs> chrome yellow School baby bus. sitting there. <laughs> I love that we can stand out in a crowd and we're not afraid to. We also have black helmets. Yeah. It's different. That's we're, old school. We like to stand. Scott still has them too. But we, you know, we like to stand out. We're okay with that because we're proud of who we are. Good. Yeah. Good. We like you guys a little bit too. It's mm. okay. That's okay. You know what? <laughs> All right. Automatic aid's awesome. Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. It's awesome. All right. Let me fire some rapid fire questions at you. What's something you believe that other people think is crazy? I believe in ghosts. Okay. <laughs> you could leave it there. Nope. These are rapid fire. We're just going to leave them right there. I'm going to steal Brene Brown's. Mm. Vulnerability is. Oh, I didn't prepare for that. Hmm important mm, good what's one bad recommendation that you've heard people give fake it till you make it that's the worst advice anyone can ever give you don't do that maybe in the pio world outside of that <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna get you hurt it's gonna get someone else hurt it's just a bad it's a bad philosophy if you don't know something ask Allow yourself the grace to say, I don't know, and um, empower someone to teach you. Good. I like that. Okay. The converse. What's one great piece of advice you've heard given? Best piece of advice I ever got. I did my internship actually with Phoenix Fire Health Center when I was at ASU. Um, chief Vera was the chief there, and he retired right after. And he told me, Treat everybody from the fire chief to the person that cleans the building the exact same way for your entire life, and you will never go wrong. And he was a genius because I took that to heart, and I have done that my whole career, and um, I value that. I love it. What does it mean to you to be fire ground fit? It's a holistic idea. 
I think it is knowing what your limitations are emotionally and physically, addressing those, making adjustments, being willing to say to the people that you work with that day, hey, I'm, I'm not all here and this is why, and, and or saying, I'm for, I am all here and this is why, and I'm, I'm willing to give you everything I got. I love it. All right, last question. Where can people find you on social media? Uh, at Glendale Fire. <laughs> at Glendale Fire. Yeah. Okay. My personal one is not as exciting. It's just my son. <laughs> over and over and over. Proud mom. Nice. At Glendale Fire. Um, okay, I'll copy that and I'll put it in the show notes. And we'll tag you on social media and all that jazz. Ashley, thank you so much for spending some time and, and sharing your thoughts. And, Thanks and for having me. Wrapping with me. Hey folks, that's all we have for today. Thanks so much for tuning in and listening to this episode of the Fireground Fitness Podcast. Ashley, thank you for sharing your thoughts, wisdom, and your time and talents with us. If you are enjoying the Fireground Fitness Podcast, get on over to whatever platform you enjoy most. Subscribe and this episode, this podcast, will drop in the middle of the night when you least expect it. Also, get on over to iTunes, Apple Podcasts, rate and review the podcast that builds some traction out there in the social media world, gets those folks who are seeking out interesting content such as this and uh, points them in the right direction. Plus, your feedback is invaluable. Speaking of which, if you have any questions or comments, feel free to reach out to me, Rain Gray at Fireground Fitness. In the meantime, go on out there and get some. <laughs>